Oh, hello. There we are. Yes. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here today to celebrate Jesus Christ on this first day of the week. The family of God together in one place, lifting his name on high in praise. We'll dig into the word of God here in just a moment to discover how we're called to live in Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus does indeed make all things new in our life every single moment. And we are so blessed to be called his children, are we not? We come here today to celebrate that very thing. We want to also say welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us here at Crosspoint. Uh, our hope, of course, would be if you're looking for a church home, and we'd love you to think about Crosspoint being that spiritual place to raise your family. We'd love for you to join us in telling the world what the hope they can have in Jesus Christ is. There's lots of different ways to get plugged into ministry around here. Uh, one of those would be tonight, VBS. I mean, I've never preached on a beach in a suit before. This is going to be interesting. I thought, man, it's going to be really hot. And then first service, Steve did announce I'd be jumping from this waterfall. And I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> that didn't look too safe to me. But anyway, we're moving on. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun, this VBS. We're going to have four nights together starting tonight. We want you to bring your kids, get your grandkids signed up, kids in your neighborhood. You find kids at Walmart, bring them on. It doesn't matter. We want them here. It's going to be a great time to discover and, and be reminded that there are moments in life where we find ourselves shipwrecked, but Jesus Christ does rescue us, and we want to live into that story. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. All of our texts will be on the screen as well as we continue this series called Build a Bridge. Uh, we're called to build a bridge not only with our relationship with God, but with one another as well. As people of God, as folks who say they are disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to live differently than the world around us. We don't do things the way the world does. We try our very best to imitate God in every way. As a matter of fact, last week we jumped into Ephesians chapter 4 and we discovered some things that we're called to live out. Uh, and in the very next chapter, Ephesians 5 and verse 1, Paul says, imitate God. How in the world do we do that? That seems insurmountable. But what we also know is in the book of John, Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And so how we do that is we look at the life of Jesus Christ in the gospel accounts and we discover how merciful and gracious how compassionate he is, how kind and gentle he is. And so our desire is to look like him in our life. And so we take on that persona of Jesus Christ, knowing that we, in our current state, have become ambassadors for Jesus in this world. We truly are the ministers of reconciliation, is what Paul calls us, as the world looks at us to discover, what does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? How does that really transform or change me? How is it different than the world I currently live in? And so we want to express the hope that each and every one of us can have in Jesus Christ by the way we live life out. So incredibly important. We have been offered grace by God through Jesus Christ. And so we offer that grace to those around us. And yes, even those folks who have hurt us on occasion. Even those relationships that have not worked out like we hoped they would. Yes, we offer grace in those moments as well. We are those ministers of reconciliation. Last week, if you remember, we dug into Ephesians chapter 4 and we discovered some things. One, that we have to identify where we have some hang-ups. What relationships do we need to really work out in our own life? And there are a couple of things that we do as human beings that are not very healthy. One is we try to repress some of that uh, anger, some of that uh, hatred that we have in our life, we try to repress that. 
And it doesn't come out usually at the time that you want it to. It kind of erupts and explodes and gets over everything, and that's, that's not a good outcome. Sometimes we rehearse those stories trying to reaffirm to ourselves why it's okay that we are still resentful, why we're still angry. And Paul says that doesn't work out really either, that indeed we're called to release that to God. We're to, called to give it back to God. And while you know your story better than anyone else, you may be sitting there this morning thinking that's really difficult, and it is. It's not a, an easy ride to follow Jesus Christ. He calls us to do some very difficult things along the way. And so let's dig back into Ephesians chapter 4 this morning as we begin our time together in verse 26. Paul says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I want to remind us this morning that it is not a sin to be angry. There are some moments when righteous indignation is appropriate for a follower of Christ. We talked about some of those moments last week. Maybe it's discrimination of some kind. Maybe it's child abuse. Maybe it's a a bully. And those moments, Jesus would want us to step forward and present our case because there may be some folks that need our, our help, our story, They don't need to be in those circumstances. And God's called us for that positive outcome, that good thing that's going to happen on the end because we've risen up in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to remember that in those moments, it's okay that we exhibit some form of anger. There are moments in our life where we discover, though, that that selfish anger is unhealthy. There will be things that happen in our lives, and it will affect us Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, it will be debilitating because once we selfishly come into the picture where we allow anger into our life, it allows Satan that foothold, and he begins to sow some bad seeds in our hearts that take away from the space that God has been given, and we begin to lose sight of that metaphor closet that we talked about last week, the things that bring us joy gets cluttered with the things that that are just a bunch of junk. And we don't want to be that type of person. We want to look like Jesus. And so Paul goes on in verse 30 to say, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And so church, we're called to live a life that brings God glory not one that is selfishly motivated to get our own end of the story to happen, but one that brings God glory in the moment. Paul addresses that. What is our life? What should our life look like? In Galatians chapter 5, he calls it the fruits of the Spirit. And those things would be love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, long-suffering, self-control. When we have that in our life, when we're trying to become that person that looks like Jesus, then there's just no room for Satan, which church is exactly what we want. We don't want to allow Satan that foothold in our life. So Paul goes on in verses 31 and 32. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so he lists initially, here's some selfish tendencies that we tend to have as created beings, but we've been called to live differently in Jesus Christ, to fully surrender to him, so that we have love and forgiveness in our heart, 
grace and compassion to pass around. We looked at a couple of those words last week. Anger, which really is this kind of definition in the Greek of this white hot temper. You just fly off the handle at a moment's notice. Or bitterness in the Greek, which really means it's kind of this simmering emotional state just under the surface that could explode at any minute and get over everything. And God says, that's not the kind of person I've called you to be. I've called you to surrender everything to me. Not just the things you want to, but everything to me. Now this morning, you and I are are sitting here and we read through that and we, we kind of think at times, well, he doesn't really know my story. He doesn't know where I'm coming from. He doesn't really know how my ex acted with me. He doesn't know how how my boss at work is just so hard to work with and for. He doesn't understand my crazy neighbor. And so I kind of get an exception in this case with this one relationship. And Paul says, no, if you want to look like Jesus, it includes all of them. That we're called to live differently in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're anything like me, when people offer me words of wisdom, one of the first things that I think about is, do you have the credibility to offer me that kind of wisdom? Have you been through what I've been through? And so in this text, we also ask Paul that same question. Paul, do you understand what it means to be hurt? Do you understand what it means to kind of be run over in the moment? I mean, can you understand where I'm coming from in this process? Because it is hard to take advice from someone about hurt who's never experienced hurt. Would you agree? It's difficult to hear those words. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul lets young Timothy know that he's been hurt in ministry. He, He reaches out to this person he's mentoring, this young evangelist, calls him his son in the faith. And he is the church leader at another congregation. Now, we know that Paul wrote many letters. Some of those letters we don't have in our New Testament, but we do have 13 of them. And Paul writes to to do different uh, types of folks. One is he will write a letter to a church in general. And so he will write the letter, for instance, to the church at Ephesus. We just read that letter. And what would happen in that context is the the person would deliver the letter an elder on a given moment when they were all together they would he would read the entire letter uh, to the whole congregation and there would be some dynamic interaction in that letter as he read through that letter but it would be something to the whole church for them to hear but then other letters that Paul wrote he, he would write them to an individual a church leader somewhere encouraging them to do some specific things at their location which is what we find in First and Second Timothy. He writes specifically to the young evangelist, Timothy, kind of his son in the faith. Now, what you may not know is that Timothy is the church leader at the church in Ephesus. And so we can kind of piece together two of those letters and kind of have a better understanding of where Paul is coming from when he calls us to this kind of very difficult living in Christ. In 2 Timothy, Paul talks about a guy by the name of Alexander that caused him a lot of grief. And so let's look at verse 14 in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says initially, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Now, Paul goes on the record that, hey, I've actually been hurt in the process. There's somebody that's been at that church in Ephesus who, while I was there, he, we were kind of partners initially, and then he kind of did his own thing, and what he did really hurt me in the moment. He doesn't 
He doesn't reenact or recount exactly what Alexander did, but he does acknowledge the hurt. And for us in our life today, that's the first thing that I want to challenge us to do this morning, is to acknowledge your hurt. Because there have been moments in your life where people actually cause some harm to you. But because we, we don't like conflict and we don't want to bring it up, it might be an awkward moment, we just kind of pull back, we don't say anything. But according to Paul here, it's appropriate and healthy to acknowledge when someone has hurt you. Now, the other thing that we need to do in the process is to just make sure that the hurt that's been caused is legitimate and is something that actually needs to be forgiven, something that warrants forgiveness in the process. Make sure that that hurt is indeed significant. Because I've discovered along the way that there are lots of folks who have some anger in their life, some resentment in their life. They've kind of let things pile up around them and in them, and it's about things that were not personal for them. They took offense when indeed there was no offense toward them that was ever intended. It never should have happened like that. They, they made a decision in, in church life and church work about a ministry or how something should be and someone didn't specifically like that and so they took that personally. Or maybe someone in, in a relationship made, made a decision after some advice was given. That advice was not taken. They decided to do something different and so that person took it personally. And now they held on to some of that anger, that resentment. They've made it about themselves. They're offended when there was no offense, no reason for offense in that process. Sometimes what we take personal was never meant to be personal to you. It doesn't really need forgiving. And so today on this stage with this kind of Disney-like backdrop we have here, this morning I want to say to those of you, let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Don't let it go. There are sometimes we hang on to stuff and we should not be hanging on to that stuff. And we've got to take some little levity in the moment, don't we? We've got to laugh at ourselves sometimes. Man, I was upset about that and I never should have been. Wow, I've kind of held on to this grudge for a while and I never should have. I should have enjoyed the relationship we had, but no, I, I didn't let it go. There are moments when we have bitter things that we hang on to in our life. 20 years in youth ministry, there's lots of decisions that had to be made along the way, whether it was a camp we went to, a mission trip, a program, a certain teaching element, maybe someone that we had come in to volunteer. And I've had lots of coffee meetings, lunchtime meetings, people in my office, parents who were not happy with the way things were going for their little Johnny or their little Sally. They weren't getting all the attention that they thought they should have or they, we didn't go a direction that they thought they should have. And believe me, I've been in meetings where Bibles were thrown down on my desk. I've been called a liar. Literally in a meeting once someone stood up, wanted to physically fight me. Some elders had to get in the way. It's crazy how sometimes people take something personal and it never should have been. And every single time we talk about the good of the group, We've done this for the good of the group. And it may not have been your specific selection, your specific desire, but this is about the group. And the greatest, smartest guy of all time wrote in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 this text. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking 
wrongs. And isn't that true for anybody? Even if you're not a follower of Christ, doesn't this make sense? I mean, to get along with people, to roll with people, even people who are in the world and not connected to Jesus Christ. See, part of being a gracious person is understanding this idea. But I continue to be amazed every single time how some people in church get bent out of shape over the strangest of things. They take it personal, and it never was meant that way. And nothing will alienate you more, nothing will chip away at you more, nothing will ostracize you more, single you out more than someone who is overly sensitive and easily offended. And you've got those people in your life, I know. You've got to kind of walk around eggshells on them because you're not sure who you're going to get today. You're not sure if they're going to fly off the handle, if you're going to say or do the right thing, and those are very difficult people. And if you're like me, you've been in that mix as well. I've been on that spectrum too. On one end, you've got someone who's overly sensitive. On the other end, you've actually been hurt but not acknowledged it. And We've got everywhere in between as well. And there are people who have actually been hurt legitimately and they don't acknowledge it. And when you don't acknowledge it, it's almost impossible to heal certainly impossible to forgive what you don't acknowledge. And what happened to them long ago affects all their relationships today and in the future. And more than likely, they will not have some of those relationships because they haven't let go of what's going on in their life right now. And Paul says in our text, he says, look, I'll be honest, Timothy, I was hurt. There's somebody who I counted as a brother, someone who I counted was right there with me. They actually hurt me. And there's no use pretending like it never happened. For some of us in our life, it's, it's kind of like maybe after service you walk out into the parking lot and you kind of trip and fall down. You kind of get up and dust yourself off a little bit and keep moving forward. Some of us might go out in the parking lot. We trip and fall as well, but then we get hit by a car. Somebody needs to call 911. You've actually been hurt. But for so many of us, we'll get up, dust ourselves off, get in the car because we've got a lunch to get to. Metaphorically in our life, people have hurt us along the way and we refuse to get help. We refuse to allow that healing process to begin. Many of you have been hurt and you've decided to take the high road. I'm just not going to say anything. I just don't really like conflict. I want us to continue to get along, and so you just take and you take and you take. But there's never a chance for healing when you do that. And some of us here this morning, some of you have been a product of abuse. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have been victimized, and you're keeping that a secret. And you cannot heal and you cannot forgive unless you come to grips with what's happened and acknowledge what's going on, the real hurt in your life. Well, Paul does acknowledge what's happened to him, but look at the rest of verse 14. He says, Alexander did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. You see, so in our life, we need to take that lead as well and release my right to get even with those who have done me wrong in life. To know as followers of Jesus Christ, God's going to take care of that. That's not my job. My job is to move on. Now, you may set parameters and boundaries around that relationship, but my job is to release it to God, to let him have it. But some of us in life kind of have this idea that, you know, I'll get over it when I get even. <laughs> when he pays for what he's done to me, when, he, when she pays for what she said to me, we usually come back and hit harder than we ever were hit in the first place. 
Now, church, that's not forgiveness. That's called revenge. And Paul addresses that in in Romans chapter 12 when he says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And I don't know about you, but when we make a decision to do that on our own, we take God's seat. And that's not where I want to sit. We've got to release it to God. And it may not happen tomorrow or the next week, but we've got to trust in God and his timeline to take care of things that have happened to us in our life. We've got to lean into his story. And so many times we we lay in bed or that recliner and and we replay the story that's happened and what's happened to us and we kind of legitimize our anger and resentment. But Paul reminds us, look, you need to hit the stop button and you need to release that to God and let it go because I promise you, you'll never heal. You'll never be as healthy as you can be in Christ if you hang on to that. Several years ago, I heard an analogy, and I kind of claimed it as my own. I I liked the idea, because I had grown up in life uh, giving someone else my remote control. I think each and every one of us have this invisible remote control. And there are moments in our relationships where we give that remote control to someone else, and we allow them to sit there and push all of our buttons, don't we? And we let, I want you to be angry now. It's okay to be happy now. No, I want you to do this now. And there came a point in my life when I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take my remote control back. There's only two people now that really handle that remote control. That's me and Jesus. And if I were to be honest, Robin does too. She handles it. <laughs> but take that remote control back. That's what Paul's telling us. Don't let other people determine how happy or sad you're going to be. Because Jesus Christ and what he's done for us should make each and every one of us happy every day of our life. He gave himself for us. And he said, I came to give you life and give it to the full. And I want to lean into that story that he's got for me along the way. Now, it doesn't mean that if there's been a crime committed, if something needs to be held accountable, then we need to do that. We can't ignore that. Someone may need to be legally held accountable for what they've done in life. There may be people who need to be protected in that scenario. And that's what Paul looks like he's doing. You look at the very next verse in verse 15. He's talking to Timothy again. Be careful of Alexander for he fought against everything we said. This is a guy that started out in ministry with Paul and Timothy and now he's decided to do something on his own and Paul is bringing attention to what Alexander is doing. This person needs to be held accountable in the life of a church. There was a time when Alexander and Paul seemed to be one. And you've had people like that in your life too. People who have let you down along the way and you gave them your whole heart and they gave it back to you in pieces. And you're sitting there wondering, how do I get through this? How do I put it all back together again? What I've discovered is the deeper the relationship that we have in life, the deeper the hurt is going to be in life. We need to go into those relationships understanding that. I've received letters along the way kind of reprimanding me for a certain talk or a camp or whatever it might be. And most of the time, those letters have come in anonymously. There's no signature, so I can't respond to that. And I'll tell you, if, if that's the kind of letter that maybe someone here would want to send, it just goes in the shredder, and I don't think about it one more time because the relationship is shallow. It's not really there. Robin sends me a letter like that. I'm going to pay close attention. 
because that's a deep relationship. And you've got people like that in your life too. People that you give an ear to, people you give your heart to, people that you join in ministry and understand what they say is going to weigh a lot on your, on your person, on your heart as well. I mean, honestly, if we're, if we're all honest here this morning, there have been people in my life who've lashed out at me in anger, but the more I understood and discovered their story, what I find out more times than not is that they have unresolved anger in their own life, unresolved relationships in their own life, and I was just the closest one. They lashed out at me. It wasn't personal. So you kind of understand that, dig that up a little bit, and help them work through some of that along the way. And then like Paul, you simply release those moments to God and let him intervene, let his Holy Spirit intervene in moments where, where it didn't turn out quite like maybe you had thought. This next thing is what I want to encourage us all to do. It's going to be very difficult. But I want you to pray for the people who hurt you by name. Pray for that relationship you have with them and pray for them individually and personally. Jesus calls us to do that in Luke chapter 6 when he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Those are direct lines from Jesus' mouth. He calls us to live that out in a way that gives him glory in the moment. And prayer brings such resolution to many of our relationship issues, doesn't it? As we pray through that and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and give us wisdom, to create avenues where we can interact in these other people's lives to benefit them and us along the way. There's a story that I read about just a few days ago a girl by the name of Ruby Bridges, 1960 in November. It's in New Orleans, and it's school integration time. African-Americans being integrated into the white system, if you will. Ruby is six years old. Several of the kids took tests to see if they would be, could be a part of that integration process. Six of them passed the initial test. Two of them decided to stay in the school where they were currently located. Three of those African-American kiddos decided to go to one school together, and Ruby went to one school by herself. Every single day, four U.S. Marshals walked her down the sidewalk to school. And for the first full year of school, she went in a classroom by herself because no one else wanted to be with her. Six years old. And as she walked down that sidewalk, headed to school every single day, people stood along that sidewalk and in the street, and they were throwing fruit and vegetables at her. She heard racial slurs. Or people standing on the side with nooses in their hand. Even someone had a small baby coffin with a, a black baby doll inside. She's six years old. Can you imagine what she was going through? The pain and the hurt that she felt personally in this moment. She wrote a book later in life called Through My Eyes. And in the book, she describes how many nights she would go to bed and she would wake up screaming from the nightmares that she was having because of this event. Her mom would come in and she would hug her and one of the first questions Ruby said her mom asked her was, have you prayed about it? She said, without fail, she would crawl out of her bed, get on her knees, and pray for the people on the sidewalk. Church, we could learn something from Ruby 
Prayer changes things. God changes things. When we decide not to take our own plan, our own way, our own agenda, and we turn it over to God, he is the one that makes the change. His Holy Spirit works in that process and makes the change. Look what Paul says in verse 17 and 18. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Paul starts in this small pericope talking about some harm that was done him and he ends in worship. Church, that's what we need to do every day of our life, no matter what's coming our way because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We start and end in worship because God is awesome. The last thing I want to leave you with is for us to remember that God is standing with you in your story. Wherever you find yourself, whether you're in this rough dispute with your your spouse and your marriage is on the rocks God stands with you in that moment. When you experience discrimination in the public eye, understand God is with you in that moment. When you're having some friction within your own family, some relationships aren't working out quite like you hoped they would, God stands with you in that moment. When you're having a tough time at work and the boss is coming down on you, God is with you in that moment. When you're going to church with somebody who you don't see eye to eye with, understand that the Holy Spirit, God, is in your life in that moment. God loves you, and he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to encircle you with his angelic group, infuse you with his Holy Spirit so that you and I lean into and love the story of Jesus Christ and we look like him more and more each day. A person who wants to extend grace to those around us, to give that listening ear that only Jesus would do, to forgive those who've truly hurt you along the way. So this morning, that's the call for all of us is to lean into whatever story God is placing in your life and to know that you may be intricately a part of that story so that you can be Jesus in the moment. You can give that example. You can show what it looks like to be a true disciple, to know and and deliver the idea that Jesus can make all things new, even the hurt that's going on in your life. I'm going to invite Steve back to the stage as he continues to lead us in this next song. And as we sing this song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And I guess there are some of us in here who have, who've got some difficult relationships we're working through. I want to encourage you to go see one of our shepherd couples. Let them lay hands on you. Let them pray for you. Let them pray over you about your situation. That the Holy Spirit would help you clearly see the wisdom that you need to have in the moment. That he would give you a heart full of grace and mercy. Let's stand and praise his name together. 